Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture for today's sermon is Judges chapter 19. I will be reading verses 1 through 4. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her, to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. So many... Many years ago, uh, I preached this text in seminary, and before I preached it, I, I read, I had to read aloud the entire chapter, and when I got to the end of it, I said, it's really hard to say the word of the Lord after that. And if I'm honest, I don't really feel like saying thanks be to God. If you don't know what's coming in this chapter, it's brutal. Uh, this entire book, the entire book of Judges, is a very, very dark book. Uh, but here we reach its deepest depths. And so, a warning. Um, this chapter contains sexual assault, murder. Uh, I'm going to pray in just a second. And if you need to slip out, that's okay. That's how brutal it is. But it's here. And it's here for a reason. And I hope that we see what that is this morning. So if you would, pray with me. Father, it's passages like these that just make us ask why this is even in your word. And so I simply ask you, to answer that one question for us this morning. Show us. Show us why it's here, why we need it, what you're saying through it. Show us you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, by your spirit. Amen. So if you haven't yet, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 19. So all throughout middle school, um, I hated looking in the mirror. And I hated looking in the mirror because I didn't like what I saw. I had really bad acne all throughout middle school, like bad enough that I had to take prescription medication for it. I would have loved it if like today's camera filters had existed then. That would have been nice. Just filter out everything that I don't want to have to look at, look right in my own eyes, see exactly what I wanted to see. The way that I felt looking into a mirror in middle school, I, I think we often feel the same way when we look into God's word. 
which describes itself as a mirror. But if we're honest, when we look into this word, there's a lot that we don't like to see, a lot that I know I personally would like to filter out, a lot of texts like Judges 19. Like perhaps more than any other chapter of the the Bible, this is one I would rather not, not read. Since the beginning of this book, we've seen Judges is on a downward trajectory into darkness. And now we finally reach its nadir, its lowest point, to which everything else has been leading. Like chapters 19 through 21, this is, the, this is as dark as it gets. And if you are here last week, we should expect nothing less. Last week, we explored the first of Judges' two conclusions. This book got two conclusions, which both point to the same thing, the complete Canaanization of God's people. The Canaanites were the culture that surrounded the Israelites. Canaanization is the process of them becoming like them. If you remember, at the beginning of the book of Judges, God sends his people into this land to drive the Canaanites out so that they can live in it as a people set apart to him. But instead of driving the Canaanites out, the Israelites embrace them and become like them until the point when you can no longer tell the difference between a Canaanite and an Israelite. Canaanization complete. Last week, in conclusion number one, we saw that reality through idolatry. Now, this week in conclusion number two, we see it through immorality which always flows downstream from the fountainhead of idolatry. We talked about that last week. And that's confirmed for us in the first 10 words of chapter 19. Look at it. Judges 19 and verse 1. In those days when there was no king in Israel. Recall, that is a repeated phrase. This is the abbreviated form of it, but that's a phrase that gets a a, a mantra almost. It's on repeat throughout the double conclusion of Judges. We get it twice in the first conclusion, twice in the second conclusion. We get the abbreviated form right here, and we will get the full form at the very end of this book, chapter 21 and verse 25. In those days when there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, there was no king, so everybody was free to be their own. Israel had even rejected God as king. They had done that through idolatry. And what's the result? Immorality. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. Or or as God often describes it from his perspective throughout the book, everyone doing what's evil in his eyes. Those statements are the flip side of one another. Me doing what I see is right in my own eyes, and God looks at that and says, you're doing what is evil in mine. This, This is what the author of Judges is about to unpack for us. The darkest immorality flowing from the black hole of idolatry. And shades, we have to look. Judges refuses to let us filter this. It makes us, forces us to stare into the darkness. Why? Like I said it earlier, I mean... Is this not the kind of text you read and you wonder why it's even here? Why does God put this in front of us, make us read it, look at it? Why is Judges making us square up and stare into the dark? Shades, we can only see the answer to that question if we're willing to look. We've got to be willing to to look into the darkness that is here. And I promise, I promise it will be worth it. Look into the darkness with me in order to see why we need to, why we have to. 
Judges 19, verses 1 and 2. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. He took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, and his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. So right here we're introduced to three characters. There's a Levite, his concubine, and her father. All of these characters are nameless, faceless. It's very interesting. In, in a world where each individual lives as their own king, it's the most important thing, it seems that the individual ends up not mattering. Is that not exactly what we have seen already in this text through the Levite? He has a concubine. He's supreme, and so he takes someone to himself as if they don't matter, as if they're just an object. A concubine is basically a second-class wife. Likely means he has multiple wives. This was a common Canaanite practice. And it looks like that this Levite has just blended in with the surrounding Canaanite culture. He's been Canaanized. He's doing what he sees as right in his own eyes. And we will soon see that this canonization of this Levite is complete all the way down to his core. But for now, what we learn in this text is that his concubine has been unfaithful to him in some way and she has run back home to her father's house down south in Bethlehem. So we got this little bit of conflict, yet if you read on verses 3 through 10, make it seem like this conflict is going to be resolved really quickly and our story is going to wrap up quite nicely. The Levite, after four months, decides, I'm going to go down. I'm going to speak kindly to my bride. I'm going to try and woo her back to me. And that's what he does. And when he does it, his father-in-law is ecstatic. He throws a three-day party over this reunion, a three-day party that turns into a four-day party and then into a five-day party party. Like as you read it, you're like, what's going on? There's seemingly no end to this father-in-law's hospitality, which was actually very common in the ancient Near East. If you think hospitality is a big deal in Southern culture, you ain't seen nothing until you look at ancient Near East. Hospitality was huge, a mark of honor in that culture. And this this father-in-law, he's being held up for us as like the, the model host. But towards the end of day five, the Levites had enough. He wants to be on the way. And he's so ready to move on, he, he refuses to stay another night. Dusk is coming. It's unwise to set out traveling at dusk, but it doesn't matter. He's going to do what's right in his own eyes. And so he leaves, and our story literally begins to take us deeper into the dark. As night approaches, this is what we read. Look at verses 11. And 12, the Levite, his concubine, and some servants, they're on the journey home. And we read, when they were near Jebus, that will later become the city of Jerusalem. So not far from Bethlehem at all. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over. And the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites. That's a Canaanite people. They clearly had not been cleared out of this city yet. Let's turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. 
His master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. Basically, the Levites like, Canaanites can't be trusted. We're not going to turn aside. This is a Canaanite city. They can't be trusted to provide hospitality. Have you not seen the ridiculous hospitality standard set by my father-in-law over the past few days? A standard that only my fellow Israelites could possibly keep. This Levite, he wants to be safe within the walls of a city belonging to his own people. A place where he believes Canaanites can be locked out. So they head for Gibeah. It's a Benjamite town. And little does this Levite know what awaits for all of them within the walls of Gibeah. Little does he know what awaits within himself. Look at verse 15. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and he sat down in the open square of the city for no one took them into his house to spend the night. We don't feel the shock of that last sentence the way ancient readers would. No one took him into his house to, to spend the night. This would, this would be like you arriving at your Airbnb and you're locked out and they never respond to you, never let you in, and then leave you as the guest a bad review. Like, how long are you talking about that? This is even worse than that, actually. This would be like you traveling home to see your family and being forced to sleep on the porch. Like, that's how nonsensical of a picture this is supposed to be. Something very dark is going on in the community of Gibeah, if it can even be called a community. The darkness here only grows more ominous with the appearance of an old man in verse 16. This old man shows up in the square. He's not a Benjamite. He's not a native of this city of Gibeah. But he's been living here for a while. He's an Ephraimite. He's been living here for a little while. Apparently, he knows what's going on in the city because he practically begs the Levite and his party to come home and stay with him. Like, like there's a foreboding note in his voice. As if he knows there's, there's more going on in Gibeah than just a lack of hospitality. And try as he might to bring these travelers and us into his home, out of the dark. They nor we can escape the depths of the darkness that is coming. Shades, don't look away. Don't filter this, no matter how grotesque it gets. Judges wants us to see this darkness, and we will only know why if we look. Verse 22. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, Belial, a Hebrew word that will come to be associated with Satan himself. That's the kind of wickedness we're dealing with. Worthless fellows surrounded the house, beating on the door. This isn't knocking. This is like throwing yourself against it. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. 
which is a Hebrew euphemism for sex. The men of the city surround the house. These are the men who should have provided hospitality and protection in their own homes. But instead, they aim to provide the opposite, exploitation, violation. They want the Levite thrown outside so that they can rape him. Now at this point, if you're familiar with your Bible, does this story start to sound familiar? Because any Israelite reader, as soon as they started reading Judges 19, they would be immediately transported back to Genesis 19 and to the story of a city called Sodom. You go back there, and what will you find? You'll read about some travelers coming into a city. They're not given hospitality by the locals, but instead they're sheltered by a foreigner. And then the men of the city surround the house, aiming to rape the travelers. The author of Judges has written this story in such a way that the parallels cannot be missed. Both stories are exactly 69 words long in Hebrew. Forty of them are virtually the same. It's like he lifted the text of Genesis 19 and just filled in the blanks with new characters and a couple of new events. Like, like he is wanting you to see that these are the same thing. Any Israelite reading Judges 19 would, would be having like a sense of, of deja vu, ultimately leading them to an unthinkable conclusion. These stories are the same, except it's no longer about Sodom. It's about us. This is what the author wants us to see. This is what he is saying. Israel has become Sodom. That, that's something that no Israelite could even begin to, to, to process. For, for them, the story of Sodom, that was like the definition of evil. It was the thing that they could surely never be. Like, like surely anytime an Israelite heard the story of Genesis 19, their first thought about Sodom would be, I'm so glad that's not me. I'm so glad that can never be me. But Judges 19 takes the finger of judgment that Israel would normally point at Sodom and it points it back at herself. Basically saying, Israel, take a long look at yourself in the mirror of Gibeah and see the reality. You're Sodom. It gets worse than that. Through this story, our author is saying, you're not just Sodom. You are worse than Canaanites. That's why he told us about the whole situation with the Levite and the city of Jebus. The Levite could have stayed in a Canaanite city, but he came to one of your cities, Israel, so that he could lock out the Canaanites, but he has been locked in with something worse. Like shades, do you, do you see through the immorality, this story is meant to make Israel see their Canaanization is complete. And if they don't see that reality yet, it is about to be brutally on display. Verses 25 and 26, when both the night and this book become their darkest. 25. But the men would not listen to him. So the man, the Levite, 
seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her, raped her, and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was. First time our author has not called him her husband because he has not treated her like a wife, but like a slave. She fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. The men of Gibeah don't get what they want. They want the Levite. But the Levite does what is right in his own eyes. And like a Canaanite, he seizes and sacrifices. He seizes and sacrifices his concubine. And the men of Gibeah are like, okay, we'll settle for what we see as second best. Shades, do, do you see? Our author is holding up this story like a mirror, refusing to filter anything. He's forcing Israel to see the reality. You're Canaanite down to your core. This is why, Shades, this is why this story is here. This, this is why Judges is forcing its readers to stare into the darkness so that we may see the reality that darkness is in ourselves. Shades, this is not just why the story is here for Israel. This is why the story is here for you and me. This story is not merely meant to be a mirror for Israel, but a mirror to help me see myself. To help me see I am Sodom. I am Canaanite down to my core. Oh, shades, shades, don't look away. Don't look away. This, this is the point. This is the point in the story where we typically look away. Maybe not with our eyes. Like, we'll literally be willing to continue reading this whole story. But I think this is the point where we normally look away with our hearts. Because this is the point where we begin to think to ourselves, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I can't identify with this. That could never be me. I'm not a rapist or a murderer. I could never be the men of Gibeah. And we begin to sound a lot like Israel pointing her finger of judgment at Sodom. That could never be me. Oh, but shades, it is me. Jesus says so. Matthew 5, 21, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. These are the very crimes that the men of Gibeah are guilty of. Sexual exploitation and murder. And Jesus holds up a mirror and shows them to me in my heart. Like, he won't let me look away or filter them out. No, in, in the mirror of Christ's words and Judges 19, Shades, 
I don't know about you, but I see the reality about myself. I am Sodom. I am Canaanite to my core. I am a man of Gibeah, and I live in a world that is Gibeah-like, where I, the individual, reign supreme, doing what is right in my own eyes. Everyone else is just a nameless, faceless, voiceless entity to be manipulated for my own desires. Don't believe me? Just... Just look, just look at the parallels between Canaanite culture and ours, specifically when it comes to women. The book of Judges, if you trace it thematically, it takes us on a journey about the relationship between men and women. And what you find is that the further men get from God, the more abusive they are to women. There is a direct correlation between how you relate to God and how you relate to those in your life who are most vulnerable and easiest for you to victimize. Look at the parallels between Canaanite culture and our own with regards to how they treat women. The the Canaanized men of Gibeah, to them, this woman was a nameless, faceless, voiceless sex object. She never speaks She doesn't get a voice. Is our culture that different? There's nothing like in our culture. Women aren't treated as nameless, faceless, voiceless, sex objects at all. Oh, shades. Has our culture not merely moved the sin of Gibeah off the streets and primarily onto screens? Like, do we not live amidst a deluge of sexual exploitation where primarily women are made into nameless objects to be used and discarded. Like the men of Gibeah, we're willing to settle for second best. In other words, we may not be able to truly gratify every sexual desire we have, but we will settle for pornographic images and videos of nameless objects to be exploited as we do what is right in our own eyes. And we do that, same as the men of Gibeah, we we do that all the while not seeing the gravity of our immorality, ignoring the depths of the darkness within. That's what allows us to read this story and think we're not like them. Like we, We don't realize that we stand with the men of Gibeah, Canaanite to the core. What will it take for us to see the reality of our sin? What would it take for Israel to see the reality of theirs. Verse 27. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he'd opened the doors of the house and went to go on his way, not to even look for her, used and discarded. Behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. She's had no voice and now her silence speaks loudest. And he put her on the donkey. And the man rose and went on his way to his home. And when he'd entered his house, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, seizing 
It's the exact same words in verse 25. Just like he seized her and sacrificed her there, he's going to complete the process here. Took a knife and seizing his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces. He's a Levite. He knew how to cut up a sacrifice. And he sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. Concubine's body is cut up into 12 pieces. Bruises from from that brutal rape are turned into blood. And her dismembered body is sent throughout Israel. As if to say, here it is, Israel. Like, you want to see what your sin looks like? It looks like death. Bloody, mangled death. Here is your sin on display. And when they are confronted with that reality, they demand a response. They, they say, we, we've got to consider this, think through this. Gotta, somebody's got to speak up. Something's got to be done. A solution must be offered. And here's the deal, Shades. Next week, we will see that every solution Israel can come up with is lacking. And it only leads to more death and more dismemberment. They, they have no God-anointed king to lead them into life, so they will do what is right in their own eyes. And sin will lead to more sin. Death will lead to more death. Is that not the pattern we have seen throughout this entire series through Judges? The people of Israel sin again and again, cycle after cycle. Sin leads to sin. Death leads to death. And they cannot come up with a solution to the problem of sin and death. Can anyone... Judges 19 is asking for someone to speak up and offer a solution. Someone speak up and bring salvation. Judges 19 is showing us there is only one solution to the problem of sin and death. We need a God-anointed king who does not do what is right in his own eyes, but does what is right in the eyes of God to lead us away from death and into life. Is that not what Judges 19 is begging for? There was no king. See what's happening when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. God, we need your anointed king to lead us in the way of life. This is the only solution. Judges 19 is leading us to the solution of Jesus Christ. It asked for somebody to speak up, and guess what, Shades? God has. He has spoken up, and he's put flesh on that word. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, is God's anointed king who leads us into life. He has done so by coming into the darkness of this Gibeah-like world to shine forth the light that is his love. And even as he came into this dark world, the darkness, we, we rejected him. John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. This Gibeah-like world had no hospitality for Jesus. And we didn't just reject him. No, we put him to death. Like the Levite who shoved his voiceless concubine out to die, Isaiah 53 tells us that Christ was silent like a lamb, led to the slaughter, voiceless, and we put him to death. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Shades, 
when we look at the cross of Christ, the place where Jesus' bruises were turned into blood, we see what our sin looks like. It looks like death. Like the, like the cut-up corpse of the Levi's concubine, the, the mangled, bloody body of Jesus, it gives us the most grotesque picture of our sin. The cross is an unfiltered, unfiltered mirror that makes me see myself. But I tell you all the time that is a glorious gospel conjunction cross is an unfiltered mirror that makes me see the reality of my sin. It makes me see myself, but glorious gospel good news. That is not all the cross is, Shades. In Judges 19, when the people were confronted with the horrific reality of their sin, they wanted a solution, but no adequate solution could be found. Their solution simply brought more death. But in Golgotha, we find the ultimate solution to Gibeah. The only solution that brings life because the cross doesn't just show me myself, it also shows me Jesus. Yes, the cross is like a mirror that shows me the brutal reality of my sin, but it does so that I might also see the beautiful reality of my Savior. His blood becomes the filter shades through which I see myself. His blood makes me right, not in my own eyes, but in his. His blood is the solution to my sin, turning death into life. Shades, shades, do you see? Do you see? Just like Judges 19 took us into the depths of darkness, the cross, the cross takes us into the depths of darkness, into death itself. And before our eyes, the cross transforms death into life. It takes me from staring in a mirror and seeing myself with all sorts of accuracy to seeing the full-on beauty of my Savior. The, the cross takes us into the darkness of depth so that we might see the light and the height of Christ's love. We cannot see its height unless we go to the depths. We cannot see the brightness of its light unless we head into the dark. This is why, this is why this text is here, Shades. So that we might see and behold and believe in the amazing, incredible, unfathomable love of God. That, that's how the apostle Paul describes it. He prays that we might know that which is unknowable the love of Christ, its height, its breadth, its depth. Jonathan Edwards would take that, that passage from Paul in Ephesians and say the love of God must be like an ocean without shore or bottom, and might I add, without surface. We sing these truths. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry and how could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Shades, if grace and the love of God are an ocean, truly we are all sinking. Shades, this is why, this is why we need the unfiltered reality of Judges 19 because we need to see ourselves Truly, the depths of our darkness so that we can see Christ's beauty. 
We can see him as the light that no darkness can conquer, not even our own darkness. Like, I don't care. I don't care if you this morning feel like you are Canaanite to your core. Yeah, Jonathan, that's me. Canaanization complete with all kinds of immorality. I don't care if that's you. The unfiltered reality is that God has spoken up in Christ to take your sin and death and give you life. So that when you look in the mirror, you no longer say, I am a Canaanite. You say, I am Christ's. Shades, this is why. This is why we need Judges 19. Because Judges wants us to see. Not just the darkness of complete Canaanization. Immorality where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. No. Judges wants us to see the bright light of Christ the King who makes us right in his eyes. Judges wants us to see Jesus. Shades, see. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.